millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. When you hear the word martyr, what picture comes to your mind? Maybe a stoic character standing amidst the lions in the Roman Colosseum? My name is Todd Nettleton. Today, we're going to get a picture of a martyr in our day. Picture a regular person, a high school chemistry teacher, someone just like you or me, serving the Lord, working at their job, loving their family, and trying to share Christ with their neighbors. Our guest is Anita Smith, and instead of a long introduction, I'll just let you get to know her by hearing her amazing story. Anita and her husband began ministering to refugees in the Austin, Texas area through their church. This experience increased their awareness of how many unreached people there still are in the world. It began developing into, well, what if God wants to take us to somewhere where it's unchurched? Ronnie was one of the pastors at the church, and he loved preaching. He did have a gift of preaching, and he was either deciding whether he should plant a new church in Austin or in the United States. So he went on a couple of different areas, I think uh, Boston, Ann Arbor, and Austin, to determine if there was another place that would have needed a church. And of course, everywhere needs churches, but um, we were both like, I mean, there's a lot of churches in the United States, and that's great, but we felt, let's go to a place that is not churched. And so we began trying to determine what that would look like. Around this time, Ronnie and Anita heard a sermon by Pastor John Piper. It had a big effect on them. And it was a sermon from Colossians 124, where Paul is speaking to the church, and he's saying, I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It's not that Christ's afflictions were lacking in in any way, but it's that in-person presentation of showing Christ's afflictions to today's people across the world and to all the nations. Ronnie and Anita began exploring places around the world that needed churches. And many of their friends and family were surprised when this young couple finally settled on where God was leading them to go, Libya. We knew that there was risk there. Uh, Gaddafi, the president of Libya had just been taken out of power, and so there was a lot of internal warfare there. That came up a lot among our families and friends and them saying, are you sure? There's, I mean, why out of all countries there? This was even more difficult for family because Ronnie and Anita had a newborn son, but they also had a heart for the people of Libya, despite the dangers, even if suffering were to lie ahead of them. It was 
through scripture, understanding that it's not if you're going to endure suffering, it's when you'll endure suffering. And we can't escape it. It's going to happen at some point. And I just remember um, some friends of mine that we were going through a study on Christ's suffering, and we were talking about we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will instill in us a spirit that almost wants, not, I don't want to say desire it, but will embrace it for Christ's sake. That doesn't mean do something foolish and unwise, but fearing God in a reverent way where you're giving your life to him and you're saying, Jesus, I am afraid. We have a new, we have an infant. If this is what you will for us, of course we want you to protect us physically and in all ways, but we want to trust in you and do this for you. And we know that when you do follow Jesus out of obedience, there is reward. And we don't know when or when, when or how it'll happen, but there is reward at some point. Ronnie and Anita knew that there were some people engaging in violence in Libya, but they didn't let that affect their love for all the people of the country. But there are just normal humans that are there that don't know Jesus. And they looked to the example of missionaries who had gone before them, sometimes even going into dangerous situations. Those people are not irrelevant to us. They were humans just like all of us. They were Christians just like us. And so many people after them, the Acts Church, they, they went and, and despite the affliction or whatever danger was seen before them, they still went to go share the love of Christ, even if it meant that it was an unsafe area. Before they went to Libya, they first went to study language in Egypt. For a variety of reasons, that was the best place to learn Arabic, and they jumped into their studies. But the chance to move to Libya came much faster than they expected. Ronnie was given an earlier-than-we-realized opportunity to move to Benghazi. He was asked to be a chemistry teacher for high school students, uh, it was a British school in Benghazi, and he had a master's degree in chemistry, and he hadn't used it in over 12 years and because he went to seminary after college. So his life was mostly spent within the church. And so he didn't realize that all of a sudden his chemistry degree would be useful for him in Benghazi. By the way, I hope that encourages you. Ronnie could have viewed that master's degree in chemistry as a waste of time or a dead end in his life. But that was the thing that God used to open the doors in a country that was very difficult for Christians to get into. He needed a work visa to enter the country. And God provided that work visa through a door opened by that chemistry degree. You never know how God could do the same if maybe you feel like part of your training or part of your experience is going unused. Perhaps that's the key that God is going to use to open the next door of ministry for you. Now, maybe you're thinking Benghazi. I've heard of that city. It, it might be because the American consulate there was attacked 
U.S. diplomats and defense contractors were killed in that attack. And that happened just months before Anita and Ronnie got this amazing opportunity to move to that very city, Benghazi. I, I don't remember like a sense of fear. I do remember largely that that opportunity of being a having the job opportunity of a chemistry teacher being just so random and that even though it, it, we weren't ready to move into Benghazi because it was earlier than we expected, it, it was just a good opportunity. And yes, that had just happened, the attacks, but we were still s believing that, Lord, this is your entrance into Benghazi for us. So for a season of time, this family settled into life in Libya. Yes, they wanted to see the gospel spread there, but their day-to-day -day life looked like life for a lot of us. Ronnie taught school. They got to know their neighbors and community. He thrived. Ronnie loved. He had a great relationship with his students. He was very funny. He was sarcastic with them, and it was a great dynamic between him. And they were teenagers, so they spoke English well, and they would teach him Arabic, and they liked listening to him speak in his accent. <laughs> so he enjoyed it, and, and I continued to learn Arabic in Libya, as well as kind of be connected with some of the women there by teaching them English. Um, so that was kind of our work dynamic. From what we had learned from other church planners, it was developing relationships, learning the language, because you can't just go into the country and start up a church. And you can't just create a building and call it Church of Benghazi. And so we knew that it was going to be a slower process. And we were definitely had great relationships with the locals there. And, and it was... It was great how we didn't see these people as projects or as numbers that needed to be become Christians. It wasn't a conversion thing. It was more of a, we just want to show you who Christ is. And if he reveals himself to you, that's, that's in God's hands. But we began realizing it, it wasn't about these people being a, just a number another number being transformed. A huge part was us being obedient to Jesus and his calling for us and being able to show just who, who Christ is, the real Messiah, because they Muslims do know who Jesus is and they do respect him and regard him as a prophet. But it's just being able to show them what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he says about himself. So what were some of the things you did as far as building those relationships? Uh, obviously, Ronnie at the school had a lot of time to build relationships with young guys. But as a couple and you as a woman, how did you build those relationships? So the culture primarily is men hang out with men and women hang out with women. So I would hang out with our, our neighbors. Uh, we were connected to our neighbors and they were, they were just amazing. They would invite me every Thursday 
all the women would gather together for tea. Our, our landlord in Benghazi, he connected me to his wife, and she was the same age as I was, and then her mother and her sisters. So it was, they really took us in, and they didn't look at us as a number or a project. They took us in as, you know, we want to welcome you. They were very genuine in their efforts and in their hospitality. One thing about um, Middle Eastern hospitality, they, they love to welcome people. And so they were very welcoming to me. Every Thursday, all the women got together. And then every Friday, that's their holy day. So the men would get together after going to the mosque and Ronnie would be invited to all of the men's events. And I would be invited to weddings. And again, that's separated from men and women. And weddings are huge things there, very, very ornate and very beautiful. So it involves a lot of getting together and talking about the wedding prior to, and so developing relationships there. We would, there was the Mediterranean beach there. In the summertime, when Ronnie wasn't working, we would be able to go to the beach. It was just about 10 minutes away, and we would take our neighbor's kids, for whatever reason, I th well, the mothers wouldn't, couldn't take them, but the fathers were working, so we were able to take them, and the kids, we would pack six kids in our car, small sedan, and go to the beach often. And they trusted us with their kids at the beach. One of the things about that we've heard from others in working with Muslims is conversations about faith come up very naturally. And I mean, we think of faith as something you don't talk about publicly. That's not how they are at all. How were those conversations as far as they, obviously they knew you were from America. They, I assume, knew you were a Christian or at least assumed you were a Christian. Um, how did those conversations about faith happen? And, and what was your attitude as far as representing Jesus but also, like you say, not just out for a sale or out for a conversion. How, how did you balance that? Yes, the conversations talking about God, Allah in Arabic, were pretty frequent, natural. A Muslim on the street, they, they know a lot. They know a lot about the Quran. If you, can, if you ask them questions about Muhammad and the different prophets and the prophecies, they will know what's in the Quran. And they do like to talk about the Quran, about Allah, about why do we not believe similar to what they believe. So most conversations I would say were really pleasant, uh, where we, were just, we would just be able to share what our similarities are and what the differences are. So in that respect, it wasn't something that we would shy away from or that we would be nervous about. The language barrier sometimes would be a little difficult with older women, but women my age and younger, they knew English, so we were able to speak in English. Ronnie and Anita Smith were making all these good connections with the people of Benghazi, but the reality of danger was still present in their lives. For instance, Ronnie enjoyed running, but he had to be careful where he ran. This, there's this one hiking and jogging place in Benghazi that only men go to. 
but our neighbor specifically told Ronnie several times, don't go over there because there was a lot of strife going on in Benghazi, like militias. It wasn't safe at that time, during the time that we were there. And so he, they told him, please don't go out there to go jogging. If you're going to do anything, just go in our neighborhood. Our neighborhood was just a quiet neighborhood. It was getting close to the Christmas season, and Ronnie and Anita wanted to spend time with family back in the United States. Anita and their young son came home first because Ronnie had to finish the semester at school. He was planning to join them in just a couple of weeks. But then Anita got a phone call from a neighbor in Benghazi. They asked me to... I was sitting down. They said, I'm sorry, but they just said it, that Ronnie is dead. And I, it was just complete shock. And I kept saying, I don't understand. They're like, I'm sorry, but Ronnie is dead. And I just me saying, I don't, that, that can't be true. And they're saying, I'm so sorry, Anita. I'm so sorry. But Ronnie is dead. He, this morning, he was shot. And they were, they were crying. We had been with these families uh, for a year. And their husbands were really good friends with Ronnie. And the wives were really good friends with me. And even the grandma, who didn't speak any English, she was just crying and, and just, like, telling me I'm sorry. An eyewitness to the attack was in a car that morning and saw Ronnie jogging. He was sitting in his car, and he saw the Jeep, and he saw it following Ronnie, and he thought it was suspicious and peculiar why they were going slow, and he heard some conversation they stopped him, and they asked him a few questions. Are you American? Or what are you doing here? Are you Christian? And so when he saw the Jeep go around um, a building, he heard the gunshots. How did the Lord show up in those days or in even those minutes? How was his presence real to you? In the beginning, it was just a, a lot of shock. His presence was... I would say a, a lot of love, support from our friends and family in terms of our, our physical needs and spiritual needs with prayer. But the, the void and the sadness, that wasn't alleviated in any way, but it was a lot of friends just f- taking the next flight that same day and flying in from Texas from Florida just to be with us. I do remember being on an airplane with a few friends going to Austin for the memorial service. And a good friend of mine and I, we were just talking. We were just having like a really good conversation about just hoping and dreaming that our life in Benghazi for Jesus didn't stop and finish there and I just didn't want Ronnie's life to end like that and a few of us were on the plane and we were just praying and praying that Christ would be known and magnified through this 
And through that, we were praying even for the attackers, that, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them and that they would know the love of Jesus. And that's how it came about, that I was remembering that Jesus calls us to love our enemies, to forgive them. And Jesus teaches us to love our enemies, and that's the greatest Power, most powerful love that you can show somebody and to retaliate back will just give them further hatred and animosity towards us or towards Jesus as well and we wanted to show them that that's not who Jesus is and whatever they believe about God whatever they believe about um, retaliation if someone does something wrong to you you're supposed to return in revenge. That's not who Jesus is, and he's completely backwards in all of that, and that's why it's not the popular thing to do. And Ronnie didn't die for no reason. He knew that there was risk, and we talked about that there was gonna be risk going to Benghazi, and yes, we had a young child and myself there, but when you're being obedient to Christ, it's giving your life to him, and you don't know the end result, but when you're faced with affliction and faced with opposition, it's to return in love and show them that, you know, that this is what Jesus wants us to tell you, and it's that we love you, and we want you to know the same love that was given to us, and that's what's so different about Jesus. And it was still a process. It was more like I was following the obedience and the words of Christ, but in that process of obeying his word, the Holy Spirit was changing my heart to be able to believe it for myself. Anita Smith has been challenging all of us to consider the example of Jesus and forgive our enemies. Anita has been telling us about the supernatural power she received to forgive the people who killed her husband, Ronnie, in Libya. And I hope as you hear that story, you'll just take a minute and ask yourself, is there anyone that the Lord is calling me to forgive? You know, the Holy Spirit who worked in Anita's heart is the same one who can give you, can give me the power to put forgiveness on display as well. When we hear stories like this, it affects us. It affects our faith. It affects our lives. One very good reason to hear from our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world is the example that they offer us. We can learn from them about topics like faithfulness, boldness, and, like today, forgiveness. And then we can ask the Lord to help us live out that example right in our own homes and neighborhoods. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia.
This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.